Bibles, if you would, today and turn to probably the most familiar verse in all the Bible. If if it isn't, I, I don't know what would be. That would be John chapter 3 and verse 16. And uh, we're going to not spend our main time on, on this verse, but uh, just kind of use it as a diving board, uh, kind of say, to dive into God's Word. Uh, looking and, and want to start with talking about the subject of God's goodness. If you know the verse, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, if you believe God is good, say amen. amen. I mean, God cannot be anything but good because he is God. Amen. Even when we have to walk through the dark valleys of this life, the valley of the shadow of death, we have to understand something. God is good because God is nothing else. And if you are here today and you're saved, you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, uh, I want you to take just a few moments and take an inventory in your life. Everything that's good that's in your life is because of God, is it not? I mean, everything we have, the health, the strength to be here this morning. God gave that to you. Say, well, I exercise and I take my vitamins and I... Hey, let me tell you something. I doubt any one of us here have ever seen a virus, maybe a, 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 a picture of a microscope, a slide of a virus, but how many of you have ever been so sick you can't get out of bed? I'll tell you what, you can't control your health. I mean, there are some things that if you eat junk food all the time and don't uh, eat anything good, uh, you're going to get sick. Yeah, but the simple truth of the matter is everything we have. Now, I want you to turn with me to several passages. Let's go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, a little book. Get through Hebrews, then you have James. If you've gotten to uh, Peter or John or Revelation, you've gotten too far. But James chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. And I want us to just think a minute this morning. How many of you have ever made a good decision in your life? You say, I got saved. That's a good decision. I mean, there's lots of good decisions. What are good decisions based on? Wisdom. Where do you get wisdom? Well, God gives you wisdom if you ask him. Amen. Uh, turn with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, 
and verse 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. How many of you have received God's grace when you've been struggling with life and you prayed and God answered that prayer and he gave you grace to deal with the situation? Could you say amen with me to that? I mean, God is good, is he not? Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And Paul is writing to his young preacher in training here. And he is trying to encourage Timothy not to be timid. And in verse 7 of chapter 1, it says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I mean, I don't know how you read the newspaper, how you see what's going on in Washington, D.C. and what's going on in Wall Street and keep saying, I mean, we live in a world full of crazy people, do we not? And it seems that just the moment that we have reached a plateau of insanity, that somebody comes along and ups the standard. Are you with me today? I mean, how crazy can it get? But if you believe in Jesus Christ, he's not given us the spirit of fear. I've met people who I'm just waiting for it to happen. I try to help. I said, listen, you got to get your eyes off of all these people out there and put them on the Lord Jesus Christ. God is still on his throne. He is still in charge. We don't have to be afraid. Look at 2 Timothy. I mean, 2 Thessalonians, I'm sorry, chapter 2. Just back a few pages from where we were in Timothy. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 16 and 17. It says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Aren't those some beautiful verses? I mean, the promises that are there, and while we're talking, turn to Romans chapter 8. We'll be there in just a moment. It says that God has loved us and he's given us everlasting consolation and good hope We can establish or build our hearts in grace. I will tell you this morning that regardless of all the things going on, God is good. And He is good to us. And He is working in our lives. Romans chapter 8 and verse 32 This was one of those verses that just kind of sums up the whole thing of God's goodness. It says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It says, 
if God didn't spare Jesus, but delivered him up to pay the price for our sins, what wouldn't God give you? Now, don't turn on TBN. And I'm sorry people say, but you you go there all the time. Well, I am sick and tired. Uh, I am just frustrated with people walking around trying to demand God to be good to them in a way they determine is good. God is not your servant. He is God. I do not come to him so he will do good things for me. I come to God because he is God and there is no other. He is the eternal creator. And he wants to work in my life. The Bible word, love. God loves me. I've met people over the years and they say, Pastor, you don't understand what I've been through. You grew up in a good home and I I never had anybody that loved me. And I'm so glad I can tell you today that you have someone that loves you more than any person can love you. His name is God. He will take time to investigate your life. In fact, he doesn't have to investigate. He doesn't have to uh, go through his Rolodex and sit there and pick a name and say, Ah, okay, I I see uh, Brett Paseka here. Let me see. Let me check on him and how he's doing. He already knows. The Bible says he knows the number of the hairs upon our head. He knows the little sparrows. Now, how many of you have seen the little sparrows in the city? I mean, they're everywhere. Sparrows are kind of nice. Pigeons are kind of nasty. But you know something? If God cares about the sparrows, he cares about the pigeons. I often think, you know... It's against the law in New York City to feed the pigeons. But everybody does it now, don't they? Well, not everybody. Almost everybody. The sparrows don't need to be fed because they can live off of so little. But there's always something out there for them. It says God provides. God makes sure that they have what they want. God is good today. I want you to understand that. You you must grab a hold of that before we go to the next point. Because I want to warn you, this is one of those think sermons, all right? You see, God is good. No one in their right mind can argue that point. Now, I want, to, I want to give credence here. There's a lot of people in this world that aren't in their right minds, all right? Uh, and that's why they accuse God of doing wrong. And they, they look and they say, why can God be God and allow all this suffering to go on? Let me tell you, suffering is because of sin. 
Every good thing that God has given us, man has perverted. People often ask, you know, everybody says they're the right church. How in the world do I know which one is right? Well, that's got a fairly simple answer if you want it. You get God's instructions and find a church that matches it. You see... Almost every religious organization out there will tell you if you will come and let us teach you what the Bible says, you'll find out we're the right ones. We say, just read this book and come back and check us out. Start with the standard and then make sure we meet the standard And you say, well, nobody's perfect. Hey, we'd be the first ones to admit that. We know what it is to look in a mirror. Amen? Uh, We know what it is to, to, to try to measure to the holiness of God. No one can do that. I, I, people say, well, I'm tired of organized religion. It's full of hypocrites. And you're not one, of course. You're the biggest hypocrite of them all. Because somehow you think you're more righteous than everybody else. Give me a break, my friend. Get off your little pony or whatever it might have. Your rocking horse, actually. You're not going anywhere. If you want to understand about God, the Bible says, without faith it's impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God is, and God is good. And every good thing that God has given us, man has perverted. We have so many religions in the world today because men have taken God's word and changed it to match themselves. I'll tell you, it's not too hard if you examine some of these religions where they come up with their ideas. It's perfectly logical. Someone says, uh, do you have any priest at your church? Well, actually we do. In fact, we have more priests at our church than any other religious in the world because every believer in God has access to God and that makes you a priest. So everybody's a priest, amen? But no one runs around wearing the title around their neck or in their funny little collars or any of those other things because no human being has the right to stand between you and God. Because God wants everybody to come to him. But you know something? If I wore one of those funny little collars and wanted to make myself important, what would be the easiest way to make myself more important than you in your life? By being your link between you and God. 
It makes perfect sense. If you have to come to me to get to God, then that makes me pretty important, doesn't it? You know what? People like being important. In case you're wondering, just review your work record. Don't you like being important at work? We do, don't we? In fact, I I promise you this, if you're not important at work, look forward to one of those little pink slips. Because your boss wants you to be important. He wants you to be serviceable. He wants you to do things. And if you're going to get promoted, you're going to have to be important. It's the way the world works. But with God, it doesn't work that way. You know why? Because the only important thing in God's universe is God. Now here's what I want you to think about. If I were to tell you, give you, I'm going to give you a word here. The word is wisdom. If you think of a man and wisdom, what name comes to your mind? Solomon, King Solomon. Does that, does that name, several people said it. I mean, when you talk about someone who had wisdom, King Solomon had wisdom. Now, where did King Solomon get his wisdom? From God? What happened to Solomon and his wisdom that God gave him? Turned it into foolishness, didn't he? He used that wisdom that God gave him to examine everything to the point. The Bible says that he allowed his heart to be turned away from God to false gods. Read the book of Ecclesiastes, only don't do it if you're depressed, all right? Uh, You won't find any encouragement in the book of Ecclesiastes because it talks about how empty and worthless man is. Man's being is unless God is the center of it. You see, God gave Solomon his wisdom. And Solomon chose to reach out and embrace that wisdom and use it. Now understand, he was supposed to do that. He built the temple, one of the greatest buildings in human history. People have tried to go through and evaluate the the value of the metals and the things that went into that temple, and it's just not even it's not even on our valuation table today. The temple that was built. It was just far beyond anything that we can imagine. And yet what made the temple valuable was the Ark of the Covenant that was in there. And the presence of Almighty God. But as Solomon reached out, and this is where we need to think, and and embraced God's wisdom, 
There had to be a point in his life where he started thinking that that wisdom belonged to him and it destroyed him. How about physical strength? And you think of the Bible when you talk about someone that was just physically strong. I mean, unbelievably strong. Who do you think of? Samson. I mean, he took the gates off the wall of the city. They say those there were brass doors 12 feet high, two of them. And he literally ripped them out of the masonry walls and put them on his back. By the way, how many of you know that's how you carry a door? You grab it on both sides and lean your back. and it's, Well, that's, that's how Samson did it. Only those doors weighed probably between four and 5,000 pounds. A normal human being, that kind of weight would crush you. I mean, they have men that have exercised themselves in the gym to the point to where their muscles were so strong that they broke the bones that were supporting them. Say, how do you do that? Well, I got a word for it. It's called stupid, amen? Nobody needs to exercise that much. But God gave Samson this incredible strength. It was God-given. It said the Spirit came upon him and literally hardened his sinews and his, and his bones so that he could handle the stresses of carrying that great weight and fighting that great, those great battles. But what happened to Samson? There came a point where he believed that strength belonged to him. And he sold it for the physical pleasure of a woman named Delilah. And it destroyed him. Didn't it? When we think of humans in the Bible and stories, even in all mankind, I mean, the Greek mythology came up with a guy named Hercules. I like Samson's stories better. I really do. And they're true. But when you think of a king, who do you think of? David. Don't you think of David? I mean, David was a king, was he not? Solomon was a great builder, but when we think of Solomon, we think more of his wisdom and his peaceful. When we think of his peace and all of these things, when we think of David, you know, he's a king. I mean, he carried a sword. He knew how to use it. He knew how to lead men into battle. He... He was a man of excellent qualities. When we think of the king, we think of David. When we think of someone who ruled his people well, we think of David, do we not? And yet, what did David do, my friend? He thought the dominion of his people and his authority as king extended to Uriah the Hittite's wife. 
and he destroyed himself. How many of you see the pattern so far? When you think of worship in the Bible, this one may be a little more difficult, but who do you think of? The Old Testament tabernacle? How many of you think of Aaron? He was the first priest. He was the first one to offer sacrifices on the brazen altar. He was the first man to sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat, was he not? Aaron was chosen of God. How many of you know who Nadab and Abihu were? They were Aaron's sons. They offered strange fire from before the Lord. And the Bible says fire came out from before the Lord. That means off of the mercy seat, through the veil. And you read in Leviticus chapter 10, 9 and 10 there, God burned them to a crisp in their garments. But he didn't burn the garments because they carried them out in the, in the priestly garments. God was a little upset with Nadab and Abihu. How many times should Aaron have been killed for the things that he did? And yet, God continued that priestly line right down to the very times of Jesus Christ. Caiaphas was a direct descendant of Aaron. And he could prove his lineage. But what had happened? Many generations before, the priesthood took upon themselves the worship of God. And they ceased worshiping the true God and began worshiping their own traditions. When I think of the word holiness in the Bible, the first thing that doesn't come to our mind is the one thing that ought to, is the Pharisees. You know what Jesus said? He said, except your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees. Let me tell you something. The Pharisees had a high standard of personal holiness. But they embraced it and they thought they could turn it for their own benefit They thought they were holy because of what they did, and that's what caused them to reject Jesus Christ. Now, here's the point I'm trying to make, and this is what I really want you to think about. Every good thing that God gives us, if we're not careful, our nature will corrupt it And it will destroy us. Now praise God. You cannot lose your salvation. Once you have it. But there's something that has to happen. Something that has to happen. On a daily basis. 
How many of you ladies wish that when you cleaned the house, it stayed that way? <laughs> that when you wash the dishes, they just stayed clean. Wouldn't that be wonderful? How many of you wish when you fixed the car, it stayed in repair forever? Wouldn't that be wonderful? That when you went to work and actually finished that contract, that it stayed that way. It worked. You know, there's this thing called maintenance. It's easy to build something. It's not so hard normally to repair something. But I'll tell you what, the most difficult thing in the world is to keep something maintained. Because it has to happen over and over and over again. I mean, if you get weary in maintaining things. Well, the only ones that don't are the people that are just letting it rot to the ground around them. Because if you're not out there maintaining something, it's falling apart. Isn't that true? Now, I want you to turn with me to our main text for today, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And this is one of those wonderful little verses in the Bible. And in fact, if I had uh, thought enough ahead, which I often do not, I could have had my wife sing a song that she wrote several years ago actually based on this verse. But verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we often skip over verse 7 so we can get to verse 8 and the comfort that is in the next several verses. But verse 7 says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Let's read that again. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. How many of you like electricity and what it does? I tell you, electricity is a wonderful thing as long as it stays in the wires. Isn't that true? I mean, when it gets out of the wires, really bad things can happen. Buildings burn down, people die. I mean, it is, when electricity gets out of the wire, it's catastrophic. I've often used the illustration, we have four great big wires, about that big around, coming into this building. And each one of them has enough current to put you into eternity before your heart could beat the next beat. What do you do with those wires? Leave them alone, amen? I have no desire to play with that kind of danger. But I want you to understand something. When God works his power in your life, could we compare God's power to the power in those electric lines in the basement? 
I mean, most of us here, I would think, would have enough sense not to mess with it. We use the lights. We use the air conditioners when we need them. We use all the things that run on that electricity. But we don't go down there trying to get the electricity out of the wires because we know what will happen to us. And yet we are so careless when we become before the power source of the universe, which is God himself, and ask him to work in our lives. His power could destroy you in a heartbeat. In fact, his power keeps your heart beating, does it not? You know, this is kind of what the Bible's talking about. Not kind of, it is what the Bible's talking about when it talks about the fear of the Lord. You see, there's something that has to happen. All you have to do to get saved is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. People struggle with that. But what about my church? It doesn't say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and go to church. It says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and maintain a life of good works. No. It's the power of God working in you that maintains the good works. But if you're not careful, you're going to walk down the road of Solomon and David and Aaron and the scribes and the Pharisees And many others, we could find all kinds of examples in the scripture and in history where people have taken the power of God and tried to turn it to their own desires. It'll destroy you. Your body was never meant to hold what God gives you. That's why you've got to give it out constantly. That's why you've got to keep it flowing. You see, the treasure is in an earthen vessel so that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You... Give somebody a responsibility long enough and they'll think that they own it. I remember in it being in a church one time and I always loved talking to the church janitor if they have one because he's the guy that really knows what's going on. And I used to be a church janitor. And I'd always commemorate... Uh, commiserate sometimes with them especially when we were traveling we'd go in and many times he would be the guy that led us in the building to set up and get ready for the service that was going to come And but you know what it's, I've never failed to see it that if the janitor's been there for a very long time he thinks the building's his I remember one janitor saying they have this children's program. We, we don't have it here called Awana. And he says, yeah, 
says, we have Awanas. I want to make a mess. He said, that's all they do. And I mean, he was just the cheeriest. No, <laughs> he, he was. Just, he thought that building belonged to him and he had an attitude because when somebody messed that building up, they're messing with him. And let me tell you, you didn't want to mess with this guy. He's mean. But that's what happens when we think we own things. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel. Don't get wrapped up in the vessel, my friend. It's not going to be here forever. Now, earthen vessels can last a long time, and you talk about treasure in an earthen vessel. I think of the story shortly after World War II, uh, there in the land of Israel, a little shepherd boy was messing around with some uh, uh, some caves in a hillside. And being as little boys are, what do little boys love to do? I don't know that anything little boys love to do more than throw stones. He was throwing stones up at the entrance of this cave, and one of them went down in the cave and made a weird sound. And he went up to investigate, and you know what he found? He found earthen vessels in there, and he'd broken one with one of his stones. You know what he found in that earthen vessel? It looked like old, dried-up leather. And he got to messing with it and feeling it, and he says, you know, this would make a pair of shoes. He said, I need new shoes. And so he took that piece of leather to the local guy in their tribe who made shoes and said, I want you to use this to make me a new shoe. And he immediately recognized it. It had writing on it. And so he gave the boy a few cents for it and gave him a pair of shoes. And then he went and tried to make some money on that thing. You know what that little boy had discovered? The Dead Sea Scrolls. If those jars had been filled with gold, they would have been worth less than the Dead Sea Scrolls are. He found a treasure. And you know what? Not one scholar has cared a lick about the jars. They want what's inside. Amen? And if we will live for God in this world, we got to get... Get past caring about the jar and start giving out what's inside. Are we still together? You see, I want us to look at one other verse today. Galatians chapter 2. And if you're in 1 Corinthians, I mean 2 Corinthians, you don't have far to go. Galatians chapter 2. And this is the key. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, 
I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now let's just look at the words. I am crucified with Christ. Now the word crucified means crucified. It means nailed to a piece of wood, impaled upon a piece of wood, suspended above the ground on a piece of wood until you die. That's what crucifixion means. Jesus was nailed to a cross. The Bible tells us, right here it says, I am crucified with Christ. If you are crucified, past tense, E.D., at the end of the word, that means it's finished. Crucifixion was never finished until the person who was crucified was dead. And you know what? They've had people, they've rolled them into the uh, electric chair and strapped them all in and hit the switch and something happened and they didn't die. They had people when hanging was a method of public execution that they couldn't hang. They they were so muscularly strong that the fall did not break their neck and they they were just hanging there and and they had to let them go. That didn't happen very often, mind you. But no one ever survived the crucifixion. In fact, Josephus gives a couple of stories in antiquity where he was riding through the land there with the Roman legions and he recognized two of his friends that were had been started the process of crucifixion and was able to get them taken down. They died anyway, from if I understand the story correctly. You know what? We, we live too much. If Paul said, I die daily, the brazen altar at the Old Testament tabernacle was a picture of the daily death of self. You know, they had to burn that sacrifice to ashes. We, we like our life too much to surrender it to God. And if we don't, what did Jesus say? He that seeketh to save his life shall what? Lose it. He that loses his life for my sake in the gospel, the same shall find it. See, he said, I am crucified. That means I'm dead. How do you get saved, my friend? It's admitting you're dead. Admitting that you have no ability to save yourself. Admitting that you deserve all of the judgment of God and simply asking God for his forgiveness. That's all it is based upon the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is salvation. That is being born again the Bible way. How do you live? I am crucified with Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels 
that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. How many of you have ever walked into an antique store? You know, one of the things that is just, if, if, especially in the Midwest, if you've ever been in the Midwest, you're going to see in the antique stores beautiful porcelain bowls and pitchers. How many people know what they're for? I remember going into one one time, one of the little kids was saying, Hey, Daddy, look at that. That's pretty. I said, Don't touch that. What is it? It's a toilet. Ooh. I don't know why we have beautiful toilets. That's what those were. It was a place to wash your face and get rid of things out of your room that you didn't want in your room before the days of running water. It was not something that you... And people get them and they'll put them up on the mantle in their house. And, and I just sit here and go, absurd. You know what? It's just as crazy as we are when we get thinking, wow, God used me to preach that sermon today. Hey, you're just the pitcher. You're a vessel. Don't get wrapped up in the vessel. Get wrapped up. Well, if you got wrapped up with what's inside that one, you'd never go near it. Amen? That's what's inside us. That's why we must die daily. That's why we must be crucified with Christ. Because the moment we try to fulfill ourselves and our desires, we take the greatest blessings in the goodness of God that he has given us and we corrupt it. And what God gave us for good becomes something more powerfully destructive than you could imagine. You see, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm alive. God didn't take me home to heaven when, when I got saved. But I'm not the one that's supposed to be living. I'm just supposed to be the repository. I'm the vessel. It says, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, if I were to ask anyone here, do you want to end up like Solomon ended up? And we'd all say, no, pastor, not me, not me. I don't want to end up like that. Well, None of us have that kind of wisdom. And if you think you do, see me after church and we'll try to help you pass that. Amen. Uh, but you got more problems than you could possibly understand. But God wants his goodness to be in us. That's supposed to be our power to live. If we try to take his goodness to us and do what we want with it, you're going to end up like Solomon. You're going to end up like David. You're going to end up like Samson. You're going to end up like the dead priest who worship their own traditions instead of the God of the Bible. Or like the Pharisees that were so holy that no one else thought they could be as good as the Pharisees were. 
And yet when truth stood before them, they rejected it because he didn't match their level of holiness. You wonder why the Pharisees all the time found fault? Jesus didn't wash his hands. Jesus' disciples threshed the wheat on the Sabbath day. Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath day. It was because he didn't measure up to the standard of their holiness. What could be more ludicrous than that? Well, that's what happens when you receive God's goodness and you don't die daily. When you receive God's goodness and you're not crucified with Christ. You see, the life which I now live in the flesh, I'm supposed to live by the faith of the Son of God. That means the faith belongs to Jesus. If it belongs to Him, that means I've got to go to Him and get it. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. Jesus is the living Word. This is the written Word. Go to Him and get it. Amen? Because He loved me and gave Himself for me. You know what that makes me? Just an empty pot. Just a vessel. But if I'm filled with the right stuff, I have something to give to the world in which I live. You know what the world loves to do? They love to admire the pot. They put them on shelves in museums. This vase was from the Ming Dynasty. I don't know how, I don't, just looks like a big piece of porcelain to me. I don't get excited about that stuff. Now, I'll tell you what, you take a pot and fill it full of good food, and I'm excited about that. How about you? If the world could understand, if they could see what Jesus puts in us, they would want what we have. The problem is, we get too wrapped up in the pot. That's all they can see. And you keep it in the pot too long, I don't care what it is, it's going to spoil. We have a lot of Christians that are like your refrigerator. Everybody's got a spot in their refrigerator where things go that time has forgotten. Isn't that true? What do you do sometimes when you find that stuff that you forgot for several weeks or months in the refrigerator? You don't only want to throw away the stuff that's in there, you want to throw away the thing that's holding it sometimes. And that's what the world thinks of us when we don't die daily. We become an offense. And Jesus is not seen. His goodness is not seen. 
because we spoiled it. It happens. Let me tell you, if it could happen to Solomon, it'll happen to you. If it could happen to King David, the man after God's own heart, it can happen to you. It happened to Samson. It happened to Aaron. It happened to Nadab and Abihu. It happened to the entire priesthood and the Pharisees. It happens to everyone who refuses to be crucified with Christ. I die daily is what Paul said. And all God's people said. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, I just ask that you would take this message. And Lord, if there be one here today that has yet to finalize that decision of trusting Jesus as their Savior. that today they would understand that they can't clean themselves up, they can't make themselves fitting to God. They must come to God because He is good and let Him do all the saving. Lord, I pray for those that are just struggling with living for God, that they would understand that the treasure is in an earthen vessel Not to get wrapped up with the pot, but to get wrapped up in the Savior. Lord, that we would understand that the process that keeps this from spoiling and keeps it ever present in our lives is dying daily to ourselves so that we can live unto God. Lord, we want the excellency to be of you. We want people to look at this church and know It's not about us. It's about Jesus. Lord, help us. Open our weary eyes that we could see we're headed down the same trail as Solomon and David and Samson and others. And Lord, that we would turn off that path and embrace the cross. We would stop trying to plan our lives and our comfort, but that we would plan the end of ourselves and our death, that the life which we now live in the flesh may be by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Lord, we ask that you would work a work in our lives, that the people we meet and the people who come in contact with us would not be impressed with the vessel, but with what's in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.